Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about children, spirituality, and consciousness. I am your host, Marla Hughes. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they are the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling with unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. Each week, I will be interviewing authors, philosophers, spiritual teachers, doctors, and many more about the wisdom children bring into this world and how we can transform our lives with this knowledge. Today, I am thrilled to have Carol Bowman back on the program. Carol is a past life regression therapist, and she's a pioneer in the research for children and past lives. Her books, Children, Past Lives, and Return from Heaven, have been published in more than 23 foreign languages. She's appeared on many TV and radio programs, including Oprah, Good Morning America, and the Discovery Channel. If you missed her past interview, please tune in to the interview before this and listen to her valuable information and the amazing stories she shared. Today, Carol will be talking about her book, Return from Heaven. Welcome back, Carol. You talk in your book about the four definitive signs that you know that a child is talking about a past life versus you know, some sort of fantasy or imagination. Can you can you just tell us what those are? Sure, if I remember them. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, I wrote, when I wrote the first book, I included those, I wrote it as a handbook for parents so they'd know what to do. You know, it was the book I needed when you know, I ran across this. Right. So when children talk about past life memories, it's, well, it's that young age too, which they speak about this, usually up until about the age of five to seven, although it can happen later, but it's mostly two, three, four, five. And they use a very matter of fact tone. They're very direct. They're not, like I said before, it's, they're not speaking in another voice. It's their voice, mm-hmm. but it's, they're very matter of fact, very serious. If you try to ask them, you know, is this something you saw on TV? And they might be talking about when they were big before and they died. They will be insistent, no. And they will actually kind of get a little perturbed thinking, you should know this. You know, you remember this happened. They're very matter of fact, serious. They don't have that. When children talk about fantasy, they may have a lilting voice. You know, it's a slightly different tone of voice, you know, more upbeat but this is dead serious, literally dead serious. And they're consistent with what they say. They might talk about a past life memory once. Like, remember when I was big and I fell off the boat and died? Or, you know, before I had, when I was big before, I had a farm and we had horses. They're consistent. If they talk about it more than one time, they're very consistent. The same story as they get a little older. They might talk about it for a few years, but as they acquire more language skills, they'll add to the story. Mm -hmm. There's that matter of fact tone, that consistency over time. And I think the most striking thing is when they talk about things that they possibly couldn't possibly know about, like dying on a battlefield or what it's like to drown or, you know, I I have thousands of examples, but you know, something outside the range of a two or three-year-old's experience. So when, you know, five-year-old Chase was talking about the artillery they used in the Civil War, I know he didn't see that on TV. 
you know, there was, and, and from the per first person perspective too. They often talk about this in the first person, present tense. Wow. So, you know, that's the easy one to spot when they're talking about death or about dying on the battlefield and how their hands turn blue or something. You know, you know you're in different territory. Mm -hmm. And there's usually some correlation between what they're talking about and their present personality, behaviors. The phobias are a prime example of that. A lot of children have phobias relating to the way they died. If they, if they fell off the boat and died, they would have a phobia. They might have a phobia of water in the present life. Or personality traits, you know, having natural abilities or tendencies that, you know, you know, they sit down at the piano and they play something by ear and they know how to play. You know, right, that's a, right. It's a positive thing. Wow. They this could have a, a fear. Phobias are pretty common relating to the way they die, but there's usually corresponding behaviors or traits. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not coming out of nowhere when you look at the child's personality now. Wow. And that segues well into talk, talking about how matter and fact and how much they know. I mean, some wisdom that they, or facts that they could not know as a two or three year old into the 9-11 story. Oh yeah. This yes. is an unpublished story and it will probably not be published. But in 1997, when my first book came out, we set up a f internet forum with it. I didn't know what it was. My husband was a little more <laughs> so he had the foresight to do that and it was to collect cases you know a place where parents could go to talk about their child's memory and if they needed help you know I could help them and as it grew we had moderators who were now running it and this was around 2004 I can never remember the dates a mother from California logged on and she said that her little boy was obsessed with firefighting, anything about firefighting. And he seemed to know everything about firefighting. He would start his day by taking a toy axe and go into the hall or in the rooms and pretend to be breaking through a wall. Every night before his younger sister went to bed, he would go in and kind of do a check of the room and say, all clear, so she could go to sleep. <laughs> they had this little ritual going. And for, you know, potty training, he got a little fireman's gadget belt and he had, you know, the outfit and the hat <laughs> and those were his prized possessions. And when he was about three or four, he went on a field trip with his preschool to a firehouse and the mother was with him. And one of the firefighters came up to her and said, your, your husband's a firefighter, right? And she said, no. He said, this kid knows everything about firefighting. <laughs> so she was reading a book to him one night when he was like three to four this time period and it was a curious george book and on the cover was a drawing anybody familiar with the curious george mm -hmm. kind of line drawings of the manhattan skyline with the twin towers and he pointed to the one of the towers and said the bad men knocked that down this is a kid from California who, you know, had not been exposed to New York or 9-11. And he started talking about, he started getting very serious and saying, why did the bad men knock it down? He said, and, I, and he said, 
The people kept crying for me to get them out, and I couldn't get them out. Yeah, I, I get emotional talking about some of these cases. Uh. That was kind of the trigger for him to start talking about his life as a firefighter, and his firehouse was downtown, and he couldn't get the people out of the building, and he was very upset about it. And he, would, he started talking about his fire truck. He knew the number of his fire truck. And fortunately, on the forum was a retired fire chief from Connecticut who was checking out the details as they were coming in from the mother about what the child said about firefighting. And he talked about, oh, they put a TV in the fire truck. We were so happy. And he talked about one day at the firehouse, they were having a Christmas party and burned the popcorn and they took it outside and sprayed it with the hose and they thought it was so funny. He talked about his friend, Mike. He talked about training other firefighters. You know, the details kept coming. And, you know, there was, he said, oh, and there was a boat on top of the fire truck, which Jeff Keene, who, the, the who was the assistant fire captain in Connecticut, said, oh, yeah, in Manhattan, you would have a boat on the fire truck because it was an island. It is an island. Hopefully it will stay an island. And, um I gave her advice. We talked privately too, because it got to the point where people were trying to figure out who this child had been. And we wanted to kind of head that off at the pass. Yeah. And she stopped posting because we did figure out who he was in his prior life. And we saw his obituaries online and we saw the posts from the family who were Irish Catholic on Long Island, who were, you know, very at peace with their son, brother, being with Jesus in heaven, you know, and we decided, no, you can't, you can't approach this family. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be comforting for them to know that their loved one is back as this very wonderful child in California. But what if it upset their beliefs? What if, you know, people capitalized on this or exploited this in any way? It would be very bad. Yes for both the family and for the child, there would be little benefit. So after talking to his mother, we decided, you know, just don't post any more information. Don't deny or confirm anything. If by some miracle out of our hands, the parents find out about this story and, you know, identify him, that's something else. Yes. You know, if they approach me and I could approach the mother, but, it's touchy, you know. It's, oh, very much so, especially with it's really too real. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you, you know, when your son was a Civil War soldier, you know, 150 years ago, not, yeah, you know, can't can't really be traced. It's one thing, but this this recent horrific public event where so many died, and you know, this loss is so great, and it's a different situation. Yes. yes. Something that really touched me and and you you touched on it a little bit but you know the this podcast we talk a lot about how much wisdom and empathy children bring into this world and you had talked about when the little boy started crying when yeah. that he couldn't save could you just touch on that sure so as i said you know traumatic deaths leave an impression and you know there can be sadness or guilt in this case he was not at peace. This child was not at peace by not being able to save the others. He was not thinking about his own safety. Right. I couldn't get them out. 
So the mother talked him through it saying, you know, you did as much as you could do. I don't remember what else she said, but basically trying to assuage his guilt. Yes. You know, he he felt guilty, but she said he is the most compassionate, Mm. empathetic child. You know, he carried that forward. His dying thought was of others. And that he was just sobbing as he told this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. And he had his catharsis, which he needed to let go of those painful feelings. The last time I talked to her was a few years ago, and he had stopped talking about it. Mm -hmm. There were so many aspects of that case that are so amazing. The first time they finally took him to New York when he was about seven, and they were going over the George Washington Bridge, I guess from Newark or whatever. And he said, I remember this, when he saw the Steinman. I mean, there's so many amazing cases posted on my forum, which you can get to through my website, and it's free. And uh, the title is Baby RN. That was her name. Oh, name. Her handle. (laughs) Yeah, on the forum. Yeah, right. Right. Baby RN. Wow. And, yeah, it's just a fabulous case. And there there are others, too, 9-11 cases that are popping up. None is detailed as this one. You know where the, an identity wow. can be. You know, it's pretty clear wow. who he was from yeah. what he said and is the it, number in his fire truck. You know, it's crazy. The details just so so detailed. It just has such far-reaching. I don't know, just mind-expanding. You know, yeah. When you when you learn about these stories, so I found your second book so fascinating about souls reincarnating into the into the same family and some as young as two years old start talking about talking about this without any prompting or hypnosis the spontaneous memories as as you say can you tell us a little bit about kathy and chad and james that brings back really two one is the, the physical ailments being resolved yes and or the birthmarks and then also the same right in these cases I had stumbled upon a couple when I wrote my first book and mentioned them but I wasn't really focusing on that but then I got this call from a mother in Chicago just to back up for a moment in these cases it's not sometimes the parents are aware of it through the child's present personality characteristics, which I'll talk about, the the parents who may not have believed in reincarnation notice these similarities between a child born into the family and either their own child who has died or a relative who has died or even a friend of the family who has died. So it's the adults who usually recognize this first, but Sometimes the children will make direct statements about the life of the deceased that are hard to miss or dismiss. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so Kathy contacted me a couple years after my first book came out. Thank you, Internet. It, made ev- it changed everything yes. with collecting cases. You know, I no longer had to meet people in person or get a phone call. And Kathy had been a teenage mom and had a little boy whose name was James. And James, at 17 months, tripped and fell, and she took him to the doctor, and they did an x-ray of his leg, and he had 17 tumors in his leg, something like that. You know, just 
horrific. And he had neuroblastoma. And as it developed, he had a tumor. Now I'm forgetting whether his right or left eye. I think it was this left eye which caused his face to distend. He had a tumor behind his right ear, which they had biopsied. And they, you know, they'd taken him to the hospital and done some treatments, but that finally they said, there's nothing more we can do. And Kathy took James home to die. And it was horrible. And right, she would go off and cry. And she, one day James saw her crying and said, mama, don't cry for me. So James did die. I, I think he was 20, 23 months, something like that. I should reread my own book. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many details. That, yes. Um, you know, it was it came out in 2001. You know, I looked it over, but some of these details slipped my mind. But he was still quite young when he died. And Kathy, you know, took him at his dying wish, don't cry, Mama. And she held that grief in. And fortunately, she met a really great guy and got married and had a daughter and a son. And then she got pregnant again with the third living child. And when she delivered by C-section, she, you know, knocked out pretty well, And I guess. And the doctors came into the room after he was delivered and said, we have some bad news. So immediately, you know, you lose a child, you're going to go to the worst case scenario. And they said, it looks like he's blind in his left eye. It's opaque. And Kathy said, bring him to me. And she held him and she said, when you lose a child, you look for that child in any subsequent child. You know, it's just what you do. So she said, the other two children didn't feel like this. When she held the baby Chad, she named Chad, she said it felt familiar. She looked at him. She could see the opacity in his left eye and distended cheek. She looked him over and he was, had this, looked like a tumor behind his right ear and she saw this looked like a surgical scar on his neck where James had had an IV inserted and she said how can this be you know rhetorically you know like she was blown away she'd never thought about reincarnation before in fact she was raised in a family that really didn't believe in reincarnation and the doctor said, oh, well, it's just a birthmark and a functional cyst, which should go away. We don't know what happened with his eye. So on some level, she knew this was James Reborn. It felt like it. And over time, he started saying things about his other life. Chad started saying things about the life of James. He asked for toys that James had had that they didn't have. He talked to about remembering the apartment they had lived in together when James was alive with, he described the apartment and the color of the furniture. So and it was getting, you know, he was three or four when he started talking and you know, it was getting a little strange for Kathy. She, she didn't know what to do with this. Right. And at one point, he, well, he talked about remembering his surgery and she said, you never had surgery. And said, oh yeah, I did. When I was in the hospital. But uh, yeah, so I, one, of, one of the great remarks I like was when he ran up to his older brother and said, I was sick before and died, now I'm back. Oh my God. <laughs> about as straightforward as you can get. 
And still Kathy didn't know what to do with this. So she contacted me and I talked her through it as I would anyone, you know, well, you can talk to him, you know, you should tell him that you understand that he is your little boy who died and came back and you're so happy he's back. Right. And so thankful. You know, she was concerned about his eye because he was pretty much blind in that eye. And she wondered if talking about it would help bring his vision back, which it didn't. It did a little bit, but she, you know, she finally sat down, it took her about a year and a half and a lot of phone calls back and forth, back and forth to give her the courage to talk to him about it. And once she did, it was interesting because she called frequently, you know, frequently because she needed support. And after she talked to him and there was this piece that, you know, she could finally let it out in the open and, and Chad listened to her. My husband answered the phone and said, it's Kathy, but she doesn't sound like she did before. She sounds better. You know, she had very flat affect. Right. And she said, after this, she said it was like this new chapter opened up for her. She didn't have to go to the cemetery all the time. Uh, you know, so it was settled in her that this was real. Beautiful. And you've seen more and more cases. Yeah. A second book, Return from Heaven, is packed with cases, which I quickly reviewed. This yes. Well, I can remember all the details. So I want to wrap it up with another quote from your book. And it is, one of the lessons we learn from these stories is that love has the power to transcend death and true love never dies. Now, to me, this is, I'm talking myself now. <laughs> to me, this information is a game changer, how, how we do walk in this life. And so what words of wisdom from your amazing research would you like to share with our listeners today about why this information is so important, I believe so transformative in our world today for us and for our children? That's a big question. That is a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I've learned from my own experiences working with adults and these children's memories is that, well, one thing that's really important is that this process is a process of learning. That's what the point of these different incarnations is. It's not a punitive process. Although, you know, every, the Buddhists are right when saying, you know, one of the tenets Buddha, life is suffering. We all go through lives of suffering. We have, lives that don't involve too much suffering, but we have very intense lives that involve a lot of suffering. And all we have to do is not look too far to know that that's true. And when we realize that this is one life, one experience of many, and that the essence of us does not die, that the essence carries forward into other incarnations, in those moments of extreme pain or suffering, you know, if we can step back and feel this, the expansiveness of all this, you know, it's hard because we're emotional beings. You know, I think planet earth is the planet of emotions. Yes. Which makes it tough. <laughs> it's very hard, but that there is something in us that does continue. We can cycle around with the same souls again, even within this lifetime. That's a miracle to me. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't know how else to explain it, but when you figure that out, it's like, and, and it wasn't, you know, if you read Return from Heaven as you did, 
you did your homework, Marla. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. There were cases in which people had terrible relationships, you know, with in two cases in the book with their mothers. And the mothers died youngish, but came back as their daughter's children. They had a chance to do it differently. It's not punitive. It seems like it is because when something bad happens, you know, we, you know, we interpret as punishment because it feels like it, you know. But there is a bigger picture that we maybe can't understand now, but just the fact that life continues and this personal consciousness continues. It's very strange to me that it does to such a degree that we can have these memories or the personality traits carry over, Mm -hmm. emotions carry over. It's like, I don't know, you know, what can you do with this? Right, right. Is it comforting? Maybe, yeah. In a lot of cases, I think it's comforting. And to know that that essence exists on some level, even after someone dies, and there is interaction. You know, we can communicate with them, or through a medium, we can communicate, yes. or through our dreams. Yes, you know, it, dreams. A, you have a story about that, too, I know, but unfortunately, we don't have. <laughs> yeah, if we had three hours. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and a, cup, a big cup of coffee. Yeah, a big cup of coffee. Yeah, but, but you, you know, you, you, you know that this is, it's important that we know this. And, you know, there's so much evidence now through, you know, your death experiences, through children's past lives, that consciousness continues after death. Yeah. Right? Uh, absolutely. That's just beautiful. Carol, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It was an honor and I hope maybe we can talk again. We don't have to do video. You are doing such amazing work. I mean, changing the world. And I truly believe that a transformation is happening in this world. And, and you're one of the pioneers, absolutely one of the pioneers. So, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And so you were such a great interviewer. (laughs) Thank you. So hopefully we'll talk soon. Have a great day. Talk is the operative word. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Carol. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.